I invite you to turn your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, John chapter 16. We are continuing in our study of John. We are right in the middle of a discourse that Jesus is giving His 12 followers, His 12 closest followers, actually now 11, one has left their midst, who is going to betray Him. And Christ is giving instructions about His soon departure. And you'll remember that the the disciples are discouraged hearing this news, but Christ is giving them strength for the journey that lies ahead of them. In fact, it will be one that is even more perilous, perhaps, than they are yet expecting. But Christ assures them that He is providing what they need. And this morning, we continue that discourse. I'm going to read for us John chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 5 through 15, which we'll be considering this morning. I'll read it aloud as you follow along in your copy of the Scriptures. John 16, beginning in verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you also asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I say to you, he will take of mine and declare it to you. Lord, we ask for your help as we have a few moments now to look into this text of Scripture. We pray that you would help us by it, that your Spirit would indeed take the word of the Lord and apply it to our hearts this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You and I are to depend on the Holy Spirit because He is the teacher of the gospel. Depend on the Spirit because He is the teacher of the gospel. Jorge Rodriguez was a Mexican bank robber around the turn of the last century. And Jorge Rodriguez would go across the Rio Grande and he would rob banks near the border in Texas. And then he would quickly scurry back across the border. And and the, the Texas Rangers were trying to catch this man. Well, one day a Texas Ranger saw the man that he thought was Jorge Rodriguez, and in fact, he identified him. He he knew that he had um, bank money in his possession, and he followed him as he made his way back across the Rio Grande into Mexico, and he made his way to a little cantina that was his favorite cantina, and, and this Texas Ranger got the drop on Rodriguez. He snuck up behind him. He held a pistol to his head, and he said, I'm a Texas Ranger, and I know who you are. You are Jorge Rodriguez, the famous bank robber. I know you have the money, and I demand you give it back to me, or I will shoot you in the head. I will blow your brains out. 
Well, the problem was Jorge Rodriguez didn't speak English. And so, and the Texas Ranger didn't speak Spanish. And so they were at a bit of an impasse. And about that time, a man stepped forward and he said, I'm bilingual. I'll translate for you if you'd like. The Texas Ranger said that would be, that would be very helpful in this situation. And so, so the, the translator now tell, explains to Jorge Rodriguez what the Texas Ranger has said. That he's going to blow his brains out if he doesn't give him the money. And Jorge Rodriguez begins quickly explaining in Spanish, Oh no, please don't shoot me. Please don't shoot me. Tell him that if he will go to the town well and he will count down five blocks and pull out the stone, he will see all the money I've stolen. I haven't spent a cent of it. It's all his. Please, please tell him quickly before he shoots me. At which point the translator looked at the Texas Ranger and said, Jorge Rodriguez is a brave man. He says he's prepared to die. <laughs> now, it's a fictitious story, but it makes a point. We have to have someone reliable <clears throat> to, to interpret for us, to, to translate to us many important truths. Well, Christ, when he left this earth, did not leave us alone. In fact, he gave us one to be a, a go-between, one who will manifest spiritual truth to us. And this morning from this text, we can learn that you and I are to depend on the Holy Spirit because He is the teacher of the gospel. Now, in this section of the text, we've already seen several times that the promise of the Holy Spirit has been given, and it's been given so that the disciples would be comforted. The first emphasis was in chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. And then we saw uh, that that really emphasized the power of the Spirit in chapter 7. And then, uh, and then in chapter 14, Christ emphasized His indwelling presence. The next one was again, uh, that was chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Then the next time we see Christ talking about the Spirit is in chapter 14, verse 26. And this is the one that we are really considering um, that is echoed in this passage, and then the ministry of his empowering witness in chapter 15, verses 26. Now, what we see in the passage before us here in chapter 16 is a reiteration of the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, the ongoing teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. You'll see here in, in verse 5 of our text together that Christ says that it is of it is of advantage. It is an advantage to those that are listening to him. It is an advantage to the world that he would go away so that the Spirit would come. Notice verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, why is it an advantage to have the Holy Spirit? I mean, doesn't it seem almost sacrilegious to say it's better for Jesus to not be with us? I mean, that seems weird. But Jesus himself actually says, this is to your advantage because when I go away, the Comforter will come. The Holy Spirit will, will come. Now, why is that, that that is an advantage? Well, think about it this way. Jesus, when he was incarnated, willingly restricted himself to a, a space and time. Jesus took on a physical body and all the limitations associated with being, with being a man. He was limited to one place at one time. 
if he had not gone and the Spirit had not come, we would not have Christ's physical presence with us this morning. We would all have to get on a plane and journey to the Holy Land and sit at the actual physical feet of Christ to be in Christ's presence. But what Jesus is saying is that when he goes away, we will continue to have God with us in the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So it is actually an advantage to us that the Holy Spirit has come because all believers who are worshiping the God around the world right now have God with them in the person of the Spirit. We have Christ in our midst this morning because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so why is the world better off? Well, the world is better off because the Spirit is working in the world. That is the advantage to the Spirit's ministry. This, this working that He is doing outside of, outside of the limitations of space, outside of physical limitations. So then what does the Spirit do? What is the product? What is the effect of the Spirit's ministry? The fact that the Spirit is with us produces three things that we see here in this text. Notice them with me, please. Verse 8. And when he has come, okay, so this, the Spirit is going to come. Jesus is promising that the Spirit will come. Now, did this come true? Has it come true? Has it come true? Has the Spirit come? Tell me, you're allowed to answer out loud. Yes. Doug's saying yes. My wife's saying yes. That is right. When did it happen? It happened at Pentecost, actually about 40 days Somewhere around 40 days after Jesus is saying these words in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And the ministry of the Spirit has continued even today, 2,000 years later into the church age. So when he has come, what is he going to do? Notice it with me in verse 8. He will do, he will do this. He will convict. Now, let's just pause for a moment on the word convict. There are two kind of ways that that word is used. Right? We use the word in reference to convicting as like it would be used in a courtroom. Someone is convicted of a crime. It, it is an objective declaration of someone's guilt. And in fact, it can be used that way. In this context, though, there's another meaning, and it is the act of convincing one of their guilt. All right? So this would be the distinction between, between being guilty by law and understanding that you are guilty. And the latter of the two is what Christ is articulating that the ministry of the Spirit will consist of. It is convincing mankind, it is convicting mankind of sin. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to convince of the need for a Savior. When He has come, He will convict the world of sin. Sin is that which we do which does not please God. Or the failure to do that which does please God. And we are all guilty of sin. We stand convicted in the objective sense. We are guilty before the God of heaven. But it is the Spirit that helps us to understand that. You see, in our natural state, we would go through life patting ourselves on the back, comparing ourselves to one another, thinking that we are basically pretty good. 
because we will always find something to compare ourselves to that is worse than we are. But the Spirit has a ministry of helping us to understand that we are guilty before God. He will convict the world of sin, and He does this not just for us, but for all the world. If a world is consciously trying to evade that conviction, if a society is constantly telling themselves they're not so bad, if a nation has an entire system that is set up to tell people, well, you shouldn't feel guilty, it will cause a plague of challenges, of disorders, of haunting realization that we are guilty. You see, I'll often tell this to to unbelievers when I am teaching classes on um, traumatic stress and crisis intervention and that kind of thing, that that the, 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 the secular model is this. The secular model is you shouldn't feel guilty. And we would just simply say this, sometimes you feel guilty because you are guilty. And what needs to be remedied is not how you feel, but how you are. That is to say, we need to be made right with God. In our natural state, we are separated from our Creator. It is the Spirit that convinces people of this. It is the Spirit that is working in the world today to help people see that they are sinners separated from a holy God. And when someone recognizes their sin, when someone recognizes that they are under the condemnation of the God of heaven, that is the work of the Spirit. When He comes, He will convict the world of sin. Now notice in verse 9 that He gives further explanation. He says, of sin, but it's singular. He will convict the world of, of sin, not of sins, plural. Now, isn't that interesting? It is a singular sin of which the Spirit convicts the world. So what is this sin? What is this sin that he will convince the world of? Is it it some atrocious act of violence? Is it some sinister injustice? Is it it a, a vile sexual deviance? You may be thinking of some great sin that, that the Spirit is convicting the world of. But know what the great sin of the world is, verse 9. Of sin, because what? Because what? Verse 9. He will convict the world of what sin? Hmm? Unbelief. Because they do not believe in me. You see, the greatest sin is the rejection of Christ. This is the ultimate sin that will send one to hell, is the rejection of Jesus Christ, who is our only hope of salvation. But it is not just sin that he convinces of, it is also righteousness. We see, secondly, in verse 9, of righteousness, if you go down to verse 10, of righteousness because I go to my Father. The Holy Spirit has a work of, of breaking through the, the self-righteousness that we all hold to, exposing the darkness that can be found within the heart. 
Now, Jesus did this when he was on earth, right? I mean, Jesus exposed even the religious teachers who were hypocrites. But notice then he says, verse 10, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Jesus was no longer physically present confronting the religious leaders and their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness. Now the Spirit does that work, convincing people of what is true righteousness, convincing us that our, our outward checklist is not that which makes us right with God. Our, our self-righteousness, our own religious deeds, our goodness is not good enough. The Spirit is convincing of true righteousness. And this is why so many who are pursuing false hope, even found in religion, still have that nagging awareness that it's not enough. I've told you the story before of a guy that I witnessed to, a paramedic that I worked with uh, back when we lived in Pensacola, who professed faith in Christ after I shared the gospel with him. Um, It was interesting because I shared the gospel with him, and he was not at that time ready to accept. But then the next time I circled back around to him, he let me know that, Two nights later, he got down on his knees and accepted Christ as his Savior. And he said to me in that follow-up conversation, he said something very interesting to me. He had been raised in a religion of works. And he said, I always, it just never set right with me. That you try and try and you do all these religious deeds and in the end you hope it's enough. And in fact, that's the work of the Spirit. It is the work of the Spirit that convinced his heart that his self-righteous deeds were not enough. Well, we also see a caution of judgment that is the ministry of the Spirit. He says, lastly, in verse 9, and of judgment, if you go down to verse 11, he says, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The context is that Satan is the prince of the power of this world. The Spirit convinces men that they have judged wrongly, that their judgment concerning Christ is, is wrong, that they've been swayed by the evil one. And of course, Jesus proved that wrong at the cross. The Holy Spirit helps us to know, helps the world to know that there is such a thing as judgment. Judgment is coming, the judgment of Satan and all who align themselves with him by rejecting Christ. Jesus overthrew Satan and all that he had. So as we kind of summarize all of this, that the the Spirit's ministry is convicting of sin and convincing of righteousness and cautioning of judgment, what do we see here? Well, if we could just kind of summarize it, uh, the Holy Spirit convinces the world of the gospel. The Holy Spirit convinces the world of the gospel. The Spirit is the teacher of The gospel, apart from the Holy Spirit, human beings do not understand the reality of the gospel. We cannot apprehend spiritual realities without the work of the Spirit. May I just say it this way? The Spirit does the work of evangelism. We often think of ourselves as responsible for evangelism, and we are. We have a responsibility to share the gospel with others. But ultimately, who does the work of evangelism? It's the Spirit. We have a role to play, and we are to be obedient, 
but no one can come to Christ apart from the work of the Spirit. Now, if you know my theology well, you know I've got a few little cracks in my Calvinist bona fides, all right? But the reality is, this is Bible. We cannot be saved apart from the miraculous work of the Spirit. We cannot come to Christ on our own. The Spirit must draw. The Spirit must convince. We go our own way in our natural state. And God must intervene. He must send that hound dog of heaven, as a preacher of bygone eras has, has referred to it. The hound dog of heaven who hunts us down, who goes after us with his convicting work and draws us to himself. What else do we learn as we observe the ministry of the Spirit? We also have to observe this, that sin, judgment, and righteousness are realities that are implicit in the gospel. If there is no sin, there is no gospel. And so, so our world, kind of pop evangelicalism in America, does people no favors by soft-pedaling sin and judgment? In fact, what they do is they damn people when they refuse to talk about sin and judgment. As C.S. Lewis said in his book, Surprised by Joy, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. And so I wonder this morning, are we tempted to soft-pedal the realities of sin and judgment when we give the gospel? Are we ashamed of those truths? But those truths, the recognition of them, that's the ministry of the Spirit that gives people ultimate liberty in Christ. I wonder this morning, whether you're watching from home or whether you're here this morning, have you ever fallen under the conviction of your sin? Have you ever recognized that, that you are going your own way? Have you ever received the, the, the convincing that you need of His righteousness? Is the Spirit showing you a right judgment concerning Christ? That is the mercy of God seen in the person of the Spirit that is drawing you to Himself. The message for you this morning, if you've never yielded to that, if you've never bowed the knee to His conviction, is to repent and believe, to turn from your way to depend on Jesus Christ alone this morning. The Spirit is drawing. He is working this morning. Will you respond? We see, lastly, the avenue of the Spirit's ministry in verses 12 through 15. And this is found in the Word of God. Notice in verse 12, he says, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus goes on to say he will tell you of things to come. He will bring, we saw in the previous uh, chapters, that he will bring to your mind the truths of Christ. So what is he doing? He's telling the apostles that they are going to be instruments of recording the good news of Jesus Christ. And in fact, that's what we call our New Testament. Under divine inspiration, holy men of God we see in Peter, holy men of God were carried along by the Spirit. And so we have an inspired record that teaches us the good news concerning Jesus Christ. We see the good news of Jesus Christ presented in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see the account of how the good news of Jesus Christ spread throughout the world in the book of Acts. 
And then from Romans all the way through 3 John, we see an articulation, an exposition of the gospel and how it is lived out. And then in Revelation, we see the culmination of the good news of Jesus Christ that will come one day. This is the work of the Spirit. The, the, the Bible, the New Testament. And so the Word is inspired by the Spirit. We could spend a long time on that, but it is alluded to here, and so we'll touch on it. Secondly, we see that the Word is indispensable in the ministry of the Spirit. It is not possible to have the, the, the Spirit fully working without the tool that He inspired, the Word. You notice in verse 12, Christ says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Isn't that interesting? Christ says, I still got a lot to teach you, but you're just not ready for it right now. You just can't handle it right now. But he will teach them through the Spirit, right? Verse 13, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Many theologies, especially American pop theology, seems to put the ministry of the Word and the ministry of the Spirit at odds. But Jesus didn't see it that way at all. If one wants to argue that the Spirit is giving new revelation today, but, oh, well, of course, that, that's subservient to the Word, right, when pressed. Uh, well, the Spirit's still speaking today. Well, what about the Bible? Oh, yeah, that's important, too. In fact, is the Bible more important than the ongoing revelation of the Spirit? Well, sure. Sure it is. If one wants to argue that way, then I guess my question would be, how reliant are you on the Word? Right? If the Word is primary, how diligently are you searching and studying and considering and implementing the Word? I would dare say in most cases, people who are citing what the Spirit led them to do are merely using that as a shortcut, which in many cases will lead, lead us directly away from that which the Spirit would lead us to do. Do you understand what we're saying? That the Spirit is at work today through His Word. He's convicting, He's convincing, He's persuading of the Word. And so this idea that, you know, the, the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, the clear understanding of the word, the searching of the word for the direction that I should go, well, well, that's just, no, 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 you're just, you're just squelching the Holy Spirit. Baloney. The Spirit speaks through the word. In fact, this is the word of the Spirit. Holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Spirit. And so don't create a false dichotomy that, Christ himself did not embrace. And then we see that the Word and the Spirit increase Christ. Notice what the ministry of the Spirit is, verse 14. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I say he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Word and the Spirit magnify Christ. They increase our understanding of, of Christ. We've alluded to this before when we looked at the previous passage where Christ spoke about the, about the Spirit. You know, it, if we go away saying, boy, the Spirit was strong, the Spirit was great, I really enjoyed the Spirit in that meeting, chances are that wasn't the Spirit. 
But if we go away saying how great Christ is, ah, that's when we know the Spirit is at work. When we say how mightily the Word spoke to us, how convicted we were, that might be the work of the Spirit. Because we're told clearly that is His ministry. The Word of God is His letter to us. It is that which remains, that which the Spirit is using as Christ is present with us today. The Spirit is working and is working through the Word. May we love it and cherish it and read it and understand it. Uh, Last week when Jeremy Frazier was here, right, he was telling how he would get notes in the mail when he and Misha were dating, and it, it reminded me of our dating days when my wife, but we would email a lot. So you know what I did before I got rid of that email account? I printed all of them out and I can still tell you where all of those emails are printed out, right? Because, because you love to hear from one that you love. That communication is important to you. You cherish it. So too, we ought to love the word. We ought to to cherish the word that Christ left for us through the Holy Spirit. God has given us what we need today. He's given us the Spirit. He's given us the word. May we be, first of all, grateful. And, and, And may we rely on the Spirit as He reveals Christ through His word. As we give the gospel to other people, may we recognize that it is the Spirit that is doing the work. May our evangelism be prayerful. For those who are believers here this morning, may we be grateful that the Spirit works, that the Spirit drew us one day to a knowledge of the Savior, and that each day that we live, He draws us back to the gospel again and again and again, that we may live by that gospel. If you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, today can be the day when you turn from your own way and depend on Him, respond to the mercy of God seen in the Spirit convincing you of sin of righteousness and of judgment. Depend on the Holy Spirit because He is the teacher of the gospel. Father, we pray that in these moments we've had together to consider the ministry of the Spirit, that You would help us by Your Word and by Your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that even now we would recognize the way in which You are working in our hearts, convincing of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. 